a Bible study, a men's Bible study, and they asked this guy to pray. And he never prayed out loud before. So we all bow our heads, and this guy needs to pray. And this guy's not a churchy guy, not a grow-up-in-church kind of guy. He's a normal dude. He bows his head, and he's like, uh, God, I'm short 50 bucks for the mortgage, and the kid needs braces. Amen. That's his prayer. That's what that was on, that was on his heart. That's what he's worried about. He's like, that's all I got. Teach me how to pray. So maybe a kid, maybe a baby believer. That's about it. Well, the apostles asked us if Jesus wants. They said, Jesus, teach me how to pray. And these guys, these guys who are following Jesus, they were prayers. They prayed a lot. They're Jewish people. They're religious people. And the Jewish culture, the head of the household, the oldest male, would lead the household prayers. They would go to synagogue and have religious festivals, and they might be called upon to pray sometimes. These guys had prayed publicly before. It was, they were churchy. They knew what it meant to pray out loud, okay? And they see Jesus pray, and Jesus, him praying, is so different and so unique, so powerful and so beautiful. They Lord, I pray, but it's not like you, so you teach me how you pray, because I want to pray like you. That Jesus, teach me how to pray. So Jesus tells them, he tells all of us, here is how to pray. And he gives us this model prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us our day our daily bread. Give, give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the power and the kingdom and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Famous prayer. If you're Catholic, you pray this when you're bad. If you're Catholic, you might go to the priest and say, you know, Father or your priest guy, I stole a TV from my neighbor. And your, and your priest would go, give the TV back, pray three Hail Marys and two Our Fathers, and you're clear. And if you do, that's how in the Catholic world. Now, this Our Father prayer is not merely meant to be something we memorize and spit out as some kind of magic spell. That's not what this bad boy is. It's more of a, a pattern of how we pray. And in the Lord's Prayer, it begins our Father. So we know that when we pray, our prayer should be conversational. It should be intimate. We're talking to the great God of heaven and treating him as he's a parent. He loves me. He knows me. So I can talk to him like a, a child talks to their father. Our Father in heaven. But then you have two sets of requests. For when you pray, Jesus in this model prayer gives us two different sets of requests. We can pray for God and then pray for our own stuff. There are three prayers to God, for God. We pray, God, make your name holy. God, make your kingdom come. God, make your will be done. Three prayers to God, for God. Then there are three prayers for me. I need bread. I need forgiveness. And lead me not into the bad stuff. I'm praying three things for me, three things for God. Last week, Jared did a masterful job talking about making God's name holy. Today we talk about what does it mean when we pray, Jesus, make your kingdom come. 
What does it mean when we pray to the Father of heaven? Father, make your kingdom come. Now, kingdom is a word we don't use much anymore. You know why? Because we don't have a king. We're America. We have a president. Maybe if you're in the United Kingdom, you have a queendom over there because the queen been there for like 100 years, something like that. Um, right? She's like 115, something like that. Um, but like, Saudi Arabia is called a kingdom because they have a king still. A kingdom is simply a land ruled by a king. In America, we don't have a king, so there's no kingdoms. But Jesus, this was the centerpiece of his preaching. He always said things like, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He said it all the time. So what is the kingdom? The kingdom is simply, Jesus came saying, guys, okay, the day is coming when God himself will come down and he'll rule the world by his own direct hand. That's a very unique idea. What if God came down and was in charge? Well, that was to be bad. I don't know about you guys, but when I was a kid, if I got caught being bad, I mean, I, if I got caught being bad, I mean, one time I got caught jumping on um, my stepdad's truck. I was on the truck, jumping up and down on the cab cover, denting it up. He came out, and I was still on top. He's like, why'd you dent up my truck? And I'm like, I didn't do that. I was on the truck, and I still denied wrongdoing. And we, we, we I, people get caught on videotape doing crimes for the judge, and that ain't me. We, we all do that crap. We all will lie through our teeth, even if we're caught red-handed doing wrong. But if God was in charge, you can't lie to him. He don't need a video camera. He don't need eyewitnesses because God sees all and knows all. If he was in charge, the evil couldn't lie to him. Our, our motivations and our actions would be laid bare before him. The kingdom of God. When God himself is in charge and deals with all individually. So Christ said when he came, I've come to bring the kingdom. So the question is, did he do it? Did Jesus bring the kingdom of God into the world? Tough question. I had a professor once in college who said, Jesus came to bring the kingdom and Jesus failed. A guy said that once. Jesus came to bring God's kingdom and Jesus fumbled the ball. Oh, he's Fredo, apparently. I think that guy's wrong. I don't think Jesus failed nothing. Jesus, the way the Bible tells his story, he's not a failure. He doesn't lose the battle. But then here's the next question. If Jesus did bring the kingdom, here's a question. Do bad things still happen? Do bad things still happen? Yes! I had to go this week. I got a call about an elder abuse situation. An older lady in the city of Flint, neighbors yelling at her, bullying her, throwing crap at her house, bunch of young kids, 20-year-olds, you know? She calls all upset. So I'm like, listen, I'm going to come over to your house. I'm going to sit on your porch and have a cup of tea with you. Just so all these jokers see me and know that there's power behind 
your, your, your life. So I go to this house in the middle, on the east side of the city, sit down with this lady, and all the neighbors see. She's got a friend, and he's huge. <laughs> you know, like, like he's, he's got a friend, and maybe we shouldn't mess with her so much. That, that's what I did. I don't, how could some 20-year-old kids feel good with themselves terrorizing a 70-year-old woman who lives alone? People do. Last week in the city, we had three arsons, three fires. Clock Corner got burnt down on Dorton um, T. Longway. Jammin Sport Lounge got burned down. And the Richfield Court Apartments had another fire, another fire over there. A guy I know was still sleeping in those apartment complexes. He was living there without power, without water. Someone set fire to his building. He barely got out alive. Just some kid throwing a freaking mall top through a window almost killed a random guy sleeping. That ain't awesome. Bad things happen. Miss Candace just shared a story. I asked Miss Candace, we're talking about things. I said, Miss Candace, you see a lot of horrible things, don't you? Think of the stories she has to hear of kids being abused. Interviewing kids and hearing the kids say, if someone did this to me, did this to me, did this to me. People do awful things to each other. So I'm like, well, if God brought the kingdom, how are evil people allowed to still hurt others? If this is the kingdom, the kingdom is like crappy. If this is God's kingdom, I want my money back. It's like going to Disney World and instead it's like Six Flags. That would be awful. That would be terrible. I got a corn dog for $40. This is awesome. Like, that would be terrible. So what's going on? Well, Miss Brianna read a passage for us out of Matthew 13, and Christ said, listen, the kingdom is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Here's the truth of the kingdom. It starts small, and it grows. Hear what he said? He said it's like a seed planted in a field, the smallest of seeds. And that little mustard seed goes in the ground, and it slowly gets bigger until one day it's a big old tree that takes care of the birds of the field. When Jesus came, the kingdom did start. The kingdom started when Jesus was born. Straight up. Jesus always said things like, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. He's like, I'm right here. I am the kingdom. You can touch me. I'm right in front of you. Christ, Christ's birth is the beginning of a brand new world. When Christ was born, the old world started dying and the new world started coming on. The kingdom began the day Christ was born. And the kingdom is growing over time. How does the kingdom grow? How does God's kingdom grow in the world? I'll tell you how. Okay. I don't use myself as an example because I'm, I'm a pastor guy. I use someone else as an example instead. So, my boy Jared, my good friend Jared, he works um, manual labor, construction, cement. So he goes to people's houses, 
pours and stamps concrete. That's fair? I explained it right, Jared? It's all good? Okay. Now, we've all worked, well, some of you guys have worked on crews with guys. When guys work on crews, it's pretty bad. Yeah? Guys talk trash, cuss like sailors, tell dirty jokes. Um, and listen, when I was, I was on a crew once, I, I did some manual labor for a while, and then the Lord saved me from that. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I did that for a season, and, uh, and I prayed, Lord, I'll do anything you want me to do, just don't make me work. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but uh, I worked for a season, and every Friday I got a payday, and the guys would say, Ernesto, and there's kids, so I got to be kind of in code. I get paid on Friday, all the guys are like, Ernesto, come with us and go to this certain kind of bar with certain kind of entertainment that is not of God. Every Friday they ask me to go. I say, man, I ain't going to you guys. And every single Friday they make fun of me for not going. And they call me all kinds of names. Oh, you don't really like girls, do you? And always making fun of me, always dogging me out. That was life on a crew. When you're going to crew, they give you brutal nicknames. I got a buddy of mine, and he, a young guy, started a brand new job with some guys. He was 18. We're all these grown men. And they were shoveling. He was doing small shovelfuls. They gave him the nickname Teaspoon, and it stuck. That, I mean, guys are brutal. Brutal. Like, that, that's a brutal nickname to have for the next summer of your life. Like, dang it. <laughs> but listen, here's the reality. What does it mean when I say the kingdom is growing? So Jared Harmon loves Jesus and has submitted his life to the authority of Jesus Christ. When he goes into the world, he goes into his job in his dealings, knowing I am under authority, I am under the power of Christ, and I'm going to represent Christ in the place I'm going to, which means we're not going to rob our clients. When we, we, pay, when we do a job, we're going to give them a fair price for fair work. I'm not going to rip them off, I'm not going to lie to them. And when it comes to working, I'm going to uphold the values and the the loving kindness of my Savior, Jesus Christ. And so you have this light shining in the midst of this job. A normal person on a normal crew. I know you're not perfect, Jarrett. I know you're not. Yeah, I hear the I, dude, amen, baby. <laughs> we have guys who drive truck for a living. And these guys love Jesus, get in their truck, drive around the town, loading up Cokes, you know, Coke or chip stations. And whatever they walk into, they walk in knowing, I am in Christ. And so if something goes wrong, instead of yelling at the gas station attendant, instead of being a jerk and making the world a worse place, they're walking around bringing the light of Christ into their professions. We have in our church, two, we have two, at least two police officers in our church family. And right now, being a cop is tough because... The pendulum has swung against law enforcement in our culture. Fair? We have cops in our church. One told me this week that as they read the scripture, they apply the teachings of Christ to how they police their, their neighborhoods. Because who there is a Christian affects what they do as a cop. If you're a Christian cop, you ain't 
taking dirty money. If you're a Christian cop, you're not planting no evidence, you're not stealing drugs for yourself, you are, you are doing a job and doing it in a way that honors Jesus Christ. And here's the reality. When any of you, in whatever job you got, obey Christ in your life, the kingdom comes to the world you're living in. You bring the kingdom as you submit to the authority of Christ. The kingdom grows as, as God's followers submit to Jesus. That's how the kingdom grows. We, by submitting to Christ, make God's kingdom grow. I'll give an example of my own life. I had a guy in the city, drunk, comes over, starts yelling at all the church people, me and some friends. He's yelling at me as a pastor. You call yourself a pastor, I wouldn't give him any money. You call yourself a pastor, you don't give me no money. We've got a pastor, just yelling in front of everybody, causing a scene. Now, I could come right back at the guy, right? Yell at him back. Get out of here, you're just drunk, you're stupid. I could, I could, I could, I could shame him, I could push him away. Took the hits because that's what my Savior did. My Savior took the hits. I took the hits. So I'm like, dude, what do you want from me, man? He's like, I just want you to listen to me. And I'm like, I'm listening. And then he started crying. I gave him a hug. If I would have responded with anger, with violence, I would have brought more darkness into the world, but responded like Christ, under Christ's authority, and guess what? The kingdom grew. I always say that me and my wife are under the authority of Christ. So I love her the way Christ loved me, and she loves me the way Christ loved her, and we love our kids the way Christ loved us, and we have this little home that looks like heaven. And in our neighborhood, it shines out. And our neighbors all know that family's weird. <laughs> For a good reason, though. They're weird because they love differently than we've seen. Jesus, that's the kingdom coming into the world. So the kingdom started with Jesus. The kingdom grows as we submit to his kingship. When we obey him, we help heaven come to earth. And lastly, the kingdom will finally fully come when Christ returns. That's when, the, that's when it all, when, the, when Jesus comes back, that straight up Lion King, the king has returned. That's, that's, that's when he'll deal with all of it, okay? I'll give you an example. There's a, there's a, there's a lawsuit going on right now, a lawsuit in America. Because a drug manufacturer pushed opioids into America in an irresponsible, greedy, horrifying fashion and said, there is no chance for addiction. And they just gave it away like candy. They pushed it through. There are documentaries on this that will horrify you at what, what, what doctors were prescribing for pain. And people got hooked on opioids, opioids. And so the government has sued this drug manufacturer. That's happening. They're being held accountable a little way. But here's the deal. The board of directors, the CEO, 
the authorities that greenlit that strategy that plunged our nation into an opioid epidemic. I have buried personally five beloved brothers hooked on heroin, introduced because of the opioids pushed by a legal American organization. They will be fined money. They will never see a day behind bars. There will be no criminal charges against them. But one day Christ will come back, and those strong, powerful suits will have no lawyers to save them. They'll be stripped bare before the risen Christ, and they will cower in fear for what they have done to humanity. That will not happen until the Christ returns. The powerful, the wealthy, the strong, the oppressors, the abusers, one day Christ will deal with all of them and all of us. That happens when Christ finally returns. He'll deal with the evil. So, the kingdom has come, the kingdom is coming, and the kingdom will come. So what does it mean when we pray, God, your kingdom come? When we pray that prayer, what are we praying for? First, when I pray that prayer, Father, make your kingdom come. I want his kingdom to come in my life. Lord, let me be submitted to your rule. You need to be praying that, Father, be my king. There's sin in your life, and you know it's sin. You got to lay that down. Father, be the king of my life. And every one of us has sin we love. The Bible says sin is fun for a season. I remember one time, I was dating this girl in college. I knew it was not of the Lord, so I went to Grand Rapids to break up with her. I drove all the way over there from Chicago, walked into her dorm. She walks out. Just had her hair done newly, new hairstyle, and it was nice. And she walks out, and I see her, and she's dressed nice, and the hair looks nice. And I see her, and I remember praying in my mind, forget you, God, I want this. We've all done it. Had some sin. You're like, God, I know you're cool, but this sin is tasty, so we stay with the sin. When you pray your kingdom come, you're praying, God, be the king of my life. That your kingdom may come in my life. You're also praying that his kingdom would come in other people's lives too. That other people will be brought under his authority. We all have people we know and love who don't love Jesus. Who don't obey Jesus. We got to pray for them. Lord, this person I love who's not obeying you. Lord, help them realize obeying you is the best way to go. So we pray that we, that we let Christ reign over our lives. We pray that Christ reign over the lives of those we love. And lastly, we pray that Christ would return. I got two little kids. I got eight and a 10-year-old in, in the house. I'd love to watch them grow up and go to their first like homecoming dance, come home crying and stuff, you know. Uh, drama's awesome. Let's well, see them maybe get married, have kids. We all dream, parents, we all dream of that, right? We all want to see our kids. We all want to see our grandkids or maybe even our great-grandkids. How awesome would that be? We still have to pray for Christ to return. Because he'll, he'll make everything right. We have to pray, your kingdom come. Now, there's something the, so there's something the church does 
that takes the past, the present, and the future and rolls it all into one. The church does something called communion. And we're going to take communion together right now. If you should have, when you came in, you should have got a cup. If you're at home on the internet, you guys, run to your kitchen, grab some bread and some juice, or you grab water. Jesus knows he can make it into wine in your mouth. It's all good. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but, uh, or into grape juice that's, that's not fermented. Um, so if you need a cup, we have, anyone here need a cup, we can give you a cup. You don't need, listen, if you don't want to take, you don't got to take. But if you want to take, you're more than welcome to. So who is communion for? Communion is on the night Christ was betrayed. He took bread, he broke it and said, this is my body which is broken for you. He took a cup and, said this, and he poured the wine and said, this cup represents my blood spilled out for you. And so for 2,000 years, his followers have been eating the bread, drinking the cup, and remembering that Christ died for us. Christ died that we may live. So we take the cup because we know that Christ brought the kingdom. His death brought my salvation. We take the cup to remember, I believe this, I'm going to live this way. And we take the cup knowing someday he's going to come back. The past so, everyone have a cup? I need a cup, Greg. I need a cup. As the band to please come forth, they'd be so kind if the band had come on the stage. I need a cup. Um, oh, you can throw it, but they don't flow throw well. There's not a lot of weight. Okay. We're going to remove. We're gonna, we're gonna, who can take this? If you're here and you love Jesus, You can partake. If you're here and you love Jesus, but you and Jesus are in the middle of a fight, maybe wait till the fight's over. If you have unconfessed sin, maybe pray and confess your sin right now and deal with it so you can partake. So we'll take a moment of silence just so you can pray in your heart and just make sure your heart is clean before the Lord. You can confess sin. You can just talk to him. So we'll pray in silence for a moment. And then we'll partake in communion. So let's go ahead, let's bow our heads for a moment of self-reflection. Okay. The little thing that pops at the top, you get the bread out, okay? On the night Christ was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body which is broken for you. Let us take. In the same way he took the cup and said, this is my blood poured out for your sins. Let us take. Let us bow our heads together. Father in heaven, Jesus, thank you for dying that we may live. May your kingdom come in my life. May your kingdom come in the lives of those we love. 
And Jesus, may your kingdom come to this whole world when you return and reign in glory. Thank you, Jesus, for dying that we may live.